God is doing that everywhere. So I find all of the people that I was working with when they were teenagers and younger, now they're all, I'm telling them, now you need to be a father, you need to plant, you need to raise up others, need to step up. Amen? Stop being needy, step up. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, why don't you open your Bible with me in Jeremiah 31.3. Jeremiah 31.3. I want to share with you the revelation of the Father. One of the most powerful revelations you can have in your life is that God is a Father who loves you. Our perceptions, when we hear the word Father, are often shaped and formed by the experiences we've had with our natural Father, with our family of origin, with people in authority in our lives. And we need revelation of what God is truly like or our way of relating to Him. We will operate out of the experiences we've had. So if our father naturally has been an angry person, we perceive God to be angry. If our father naturally has been a passive person, we see God as not being engaged or involved in our life. If we see God as a, our father as a person who abandoned the family, then we do tend to see God as someone who will leave us, and we live in insecurity all the time about whether God is here or not. And so many of the struggles we have come because we're not properly established with a personal revelation, God is a Father who loves me, is interested in every detail of my life. We tend to project onto God the ways we think about fathering. And what is worse, we then reproduce the same issues in our family that caused us to be hurt in our family of origin. So God wants to shift us, my own journey, an interesting journey. Um, uh, I suffered with tremendous rejection, a lack of real connection emotionally with my own father. In ministry, I was under two spiritual fathers who failed, committed adultery, and left us abandoned in, in, in ministry. And uh, these experiences are incredibly painful. But the painful experiences do not define who you are. You choose to respond to God he defines your life and your destiny. We're going to look at that in a moment today. You can either live in the pain of the past and repeat it in the future, or you can make a decision to bring an end to those things and be able to build something different for the future. There's a young generation here. You're all emerging to become, at some stage, you'll be, be married, be parents. You have children of your own. You can be the generation that changes some of the negative aspects of the culture and builds a generation which have a different kind of experience. Joy and I have done that. We have built our family very differently to the family of origin. We have invested in our family. We have now seven children, all married, all gone through tertiary education of some kind. We have 24 grandchildren, all attending church. We are seeing fruit in this season in our life of the investment in building family, of showing the fatherhood of God in our own family. It never stops. Right now, this coming week, I'll be bringing one of my grandchildren to be with us in ministry in Taiwan. We're investing into her future, helping her understand the call of God and to fulfill the call of God. We're empowering her to fulfill it. Uh, we took a while ago, just about a month ago, I took all of my daughters and uh, also daughter-in-laws and one of my grandchildren, the eldest grandchild, I took them away on a holiday with John and myself and then we invested into them. We showed them how to build stronger relationships through the principle of honoring one another. We had the great joy of seeing every day 
they opened their hearts, shared what each one meant to them, and prayed and blessed one another. A very powerful time of connection. I was never exposed to that kind of parenting when I grew up. We made a decision to overcome the past and build on a revelation that God is a loving Father. So I want to just go through a few scriptures, open up some things for you. So let's have a look, first of all, in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. And we're looking in the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to just flip around a few places. I want you to see here in Jeremiah 31, and he says in verse 3, The Lord has appeared to me of old. Remember, Jeremiah was very young. He was a prophet. The Lord spoke to him. Now, Jeremiah was not a very confident man. Jeremiah received an encounter with the Lord on many different occasions. And notice what he said. Here's one of the encounters. The Lord has appeared to me of old. And he said, this is what he said to him. When, this is the Old Testament. This is the God of the Old Testament. Sometimes when we think of the Old Testament, think of angry God and all kinds of different ways of thinking about God. And this is, this is Jeremiah. He brings this revelation of what God said to me. Yes, yes. I have loved you with an everlasting love, with loving kindness I have drawn you, I will build you, you shall be rebuilt. Now that's amazing scripture. This is God revealing himself. The word for love there is the word loving kindness. It's a, an abundant, generous, overflowing love that engages and connects with people. And he says, he said, and notice what he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. In other words, God's love's not temporary. It's not, I love you today, tomorrow. Oh, you did that? I don't love you today. In the world, we get conditional love, if, and so we end up learning, trying to do things to please people. We become performers to receive love. But God is not like that. God's nature is loving, so there's nothing you can do to change him. See, see, people think, well, one day God's happy and tomorrow he's mad with me because I didn't do this, I didn't do that, or I, whatever. God is not like that. God is not changed in his way of relating to you because of how you behaved. He is not happy with you one day, angry with you the next day. That's what natural people like. God is not like that. He says, my love is an everlasting, an age-lasting, eternal love that you cannot change. It is my gift to you. Then notice what else he says. I have attracted you with this love. The love of God is extraordinarily attractive because all of us want someone to love and value us. We're designed for that. There's a part of our life designed for that. When God designed us, he designed us as a spirit being living in a body that would, be out of relationship with him, we would reflect his fatherhood as sons and daughters. It's the fall of man. It's the breaking of the relationship with God has created the global problems we face. And so God says to Jeremiah, I have drawn you, with loving kindness, and my purpose is to build you. He spoke to Jeremiah, and he said, Jeremiah, before you were born, I already knew who you were, and what you would be like, and the gifts you would have, and the desires you would have, and the passions you would have, and I already prepared a purpose, what your life would accomplish. Many times, I think we have this idea that maybe my arrival in this world was an accident and I'm a bit of a mistake, but that is not true. God purposed you to come into this world. 
He understood what family you'd be born into. He understood the background. He understood what country. He knew exactly where you would come. He knew where you would arrive. And you say, well, he made a big mistake. No, he made no mistake. The problem is you haven't seen why did God put you in that family? Why did God bring you into that circumstance? Why did God put you there? It's because he had something for you to accomplish. And you say, well, my family was so bad. I was so broken. There was so much damage, so much abuse. Listen, God put you in the family to be the one who ended the cycle of abuse, to be the one that put to an end to the destruction, to be the one that shaped a different future, a different generation. Don't look back and say how bad it was. Don't look back and say how badly treated you are. You're behaving and thinking like a victim. You need to understand God put me here for a reason. He put me into my family and I would gain certain good things from it and I would bring to an end certain practices which are ungodly and unhealthy and I will build something different for the future. That's the path Joy and I chose. We chose we would build something different. We chose we would draw from the best, resolve the pain of the negatives, and give an, have an encounter with God and begin to build differently for the future. And this is the challenge for you too. Not to live like a victim, not to live as someone who has been broken and damaged and hurt by what has happened, but rather someone that God has loved you with an everlasting love. He loved you before you were born. He loved you during your brokenness. He loved you during your failures. He has not stopped loving you. And while you were in that broken state, he reached out and sent Christ to engage you and save you because he had something in mind for your life. What powerful things these are. Why don't you look with me in John chapter 17 and verse 4. John 17 and verse 4. Why don't you look at Jesus. I want to take up something that he spoke of and then we'll get into where I want to go. John 17 and verse 4. Jesus is at the end of his ministry, the end of his work on the earth. And uh, his last thing he will do will give his life on Calvary. Now I want you to notice because this is the last recorded prayer he made. His words are very significant because he knows he's about to die. And uh, there's a lot in there. We're going to pick one verse only, one, two verses. Here it is. In verse 4, he says, I have honored you or brought you honor on the earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men you gave me out of the world. Now, I want to show you several things that Jesus says in that passage there. Because he is the model. He is the one that we should draw from. Don't look at the failures of people and build your life around the shortcomings and shortfalls of people. Turn to Jesus Christ to get definition of how your life should go. Notice what he says, I have finished the work you gave me to do. In other words, at the end of his life, Jesus made it very clear he was a man born into this world with an assignment from God, the work you gave me to do. We need to understand that God has an assignment for every person. You were prepared to accomplish something. Before you ever came into this world, God had something designed for you to do. It tells us that very clearly in Ephesians 2.10 where it says, You are his workmanship created in Christ for good works God prepared before you were even born. So Jesus comes to the end of his life and he says, I have 
brought honor to you, Father. I finished what you gave me to do. So you see two things in here. Number one, he is talking to his father as a son, and he's saying, I brought honor to you in how I've conducted my life. God's design for every person is to represent him as his son, as his daughter, and bring honor to him by the life we live. You are called to bring honor to God with your life. Now, you will bring honor to God with your life as you have relationship with him, as you learn to live for him, and as you discover what he uniquely called you to do. There's no one can do what you are called to do. There's no one can replace you. You may think you can be replaced. You can't because you're totally unique, designed for something God designed you to do. And your life brings honor to God when you come into relationship with Him and begin to love Him and value Him and walk with Him as a child and discover what He called you to do with your life. And in the fulfilling of what he called you to do, your life becomes full and rich. You fulfill what you're designed to do. You are designed with your life to bring honor to God. So if you are a creative person, then draw on the creativity of God. If you are an organized detail kind of person, draw on the meticulous detail of God. In other words, every aspect of our life, wherever our giftings and passions are, God has designed you to reflect them. You are to bring a little bit of what he is like to the world. And as a body of people, we are to make a massive impact by revealing the fatherhood of God, what God is like as a loving father. So Jesus said, I have honored you on the earth. I gave you the, finish the work you gave me to do. I reveal what you're like. Now, in John chapter 14, Jesus said something else. John chapter 14, he says this. And uh, he talks there in verse 17, and he says, I'm going to pray to the Father who will give you the spirit of truth. The world can't receive the Holy Spirit, doesn't see him, doesn't know him. You know him, he is dwelling with you, and soon will be in you. I will not leave you an orphan, I will come to you. Now notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it's important and necessary and an advantage if I leave and go to be with the Father. If I stay, then I am very limited as a person in one place what I can do. But if I go to the Father, He will give His Spirit. His Spirit will enter you. The Spirit of God is called the Spirit of our Father. The Spirit of God coming into you means you will never be alone. You will always have God with you. Always God will be with you. He will never leave you. He will never abandon you. That's why He makes the statement, I will not leave you orphaned. What is an orphan? An orphan is a person who has lost his father. We tend to think of an orphan as a person who lost both father and mother. They have no parents. But in the Bible, an orphan was just another word used for a person who is fatherless. In the culture of the Bible, uh, all through the Bible, uh, to be in the culture and not have a father was a huge setback. It was devastating to every area of your life. Why? Because God designed that we would reflect his fatherhood into the earth. Fathers are meant to reflect the fatherhood of God. 
So when a father uh, abandons the child, when a child is left without a father because he died prematurely, abandoned the family, or left the family for whatever reason, the family is left in a devastating situation in the Bible. There was no one to protect them. Their lives were filled with fear and anxiety. There was no one to provide for them. There's an uncertainty day by day how they'll get by, so they lived with anxiety and uncertainty and lack. There was no one to guide them, no one to show them how to succeed, how to do things, how to succeed in just the simple tasks of life growing up. And so they learned to do things on their own, fearing to make mistakes and earn criticism from those around them. If a child was an orphan, uh, they suffered many, many things. There was a constant sense of vulnerability, of loneliness, no one to correct to, to point out where you're going wrong and stop you making lots of unnecessary mistakes. There was no one there to provide order and discipline, no one to provide an identity. One of the major roles of a father is to give you identity. That's why when people ask the name uh, in the Bible, they would always tell who the father was. Why? Because the honor came from the father, came from the family of origin. That's why in Asia, when you give your name, Chinese name, you give the surname, the family name, where you've come from comes first. It comes out of the Bible because your family of origin define your identity, who you are. You come from your father. Jesus said, I've come from my father. I made my father known. This is what I did. I have revealed what my father is like. So if you are orphaned, you suffer enormously. So we're not, maybe not naturally orphaned, but in many ways, fathers can be absent or passive or angry or leave the family, abandon the family. In fact, the orphan mindset is a way that characterizes people that don't really know God as a loving father. What is an orphan mindset? Well, it's characterized by these things of insecurity, rejection constant fear and uncertainty, anxiety about the future, competitiveness because I need to prove who I am, or passivity, I don't want anyone to see who I am, I need to withdraw. When you look in the culture, you find people displaying these things everywhere. What shifts it is when we come to a revelation that I have a father and I'm never alone and everything I need is supplied by Him. That is a revelation you need. I can tell it to you in words, but unless God reveals it, then it's something that's just something in the air, some kind of empty words. Let's have a look in Exodus chapter 30. Exodus 30. There are many ways that God revealed Himself in the Bible. I want to show you a couple of them and talk about how you can begin to deepen or develop a revelation of God as a father. First, you have to know him. The word father literally means a source, a source, source of identity, source of provision, source of protection, source of wisdom. The father has a unique role. And so let's have a look here, and we see God encountering Moses in Exodus 34 and verse 6. Now, Moses had asked God, God, show me your glory. Now, God had already shown him the shimmering cloud of fire. God had already shown him miracles. God had already shown him the cloud by night. He'd seen the fire on the mountain. He'd seen many aspects of God, 
But now God reveals something different. And God spoke to him and said, listen, if you see me, you'll burn up. You can't handle it. And so he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you in a cleft of a rock. I'll cover you with my hand and I'll go by and I will reveal who I am. I will tell you my name. He is saying virtually, God, I want to know you. I want to know who you are. And so God says, I will reveal my name. And in the Bible, the name means the nature or the character. In other words, you say, I am going to tell you what I'm like. I'm going to reveal it to you. Now, think about Moses, you say. He's seen God do mighty judgments, mighty miracles, quite fearsome things, really, frightening things, scary things. Now God says, I want to show you who I am. Now, the context of God revealing who he is is very important. It's one of the few times in the Bible where God exposes and reveals who he is very, very clearly until the time of Jesus when Jesus reveals him completely. If you want to know what God is like, ultimately you look to Jesus. But we're going to look at this example here. Now, here's the context. The context, if you will read the verses, is the giving of the Ten Commandments. In other words, the giving of Ten Commandments, God gave them Ten Commandments, laws to govern the nation. So most of us, when we think of the Ten Commandments, we think of a lot of restrictive laws. You don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Oh, don't, don't. It, we seem to think about the commandments, we think it's all don't. So we tend to think of laws, and we feel, mm, I don't like that. See? But that's because we have a wrong perspective of it. We don't understand what it was about. This is what it's about. When you understand what it's about, now you'll see why it's important what God says about himself. The people of Israel had lived as slaves for 400 years. That means they had been robbed, they'd been pillaged, they'd been abused, they'd had slave labor, they'd been stolen from, their children had been murdered, their wives had been abused. They had suffered. There were no boundaries around their life. They lived in a hostile land, a hostile nation. And now God says... I will bring you to myself. I, I, you, you are to me a peculiar treasure, he said. And in the Hebrew culture, to tell a woman they were a particular treasure means you are interested in proceeding in a relationship that will lead to marriage. It was like a heads up, hey, I'm interested in you. So God calls Israel, you're my peculiar treasure. Now in the marriage relationship, the marriage is a covenant. And in the covenant, there was always some conditions or agreements. If I'm getting married, there's certain things we agree to. That makes sense, doesn't it? Before you get married, you must have some agreements. These are understandings on which the relationship or the marriage is built. So the Ten Commandments, we look at them as laws. The Hebrews said, this is amazing. There's no other nation has anything like this. These tell us about our relationship with God. Now, I'm going to just reframe rephrase the Ten Commandments so that you see the, the, the thinking and the context of it. The Ten Commandments are the agreements of how you walk with God. Or, putting it another way, God wanted us in a marriage relationship with himself. These are the terms of how you have a marriage with God. Number one, now if you're going to get married, number one, no other woman. See? So God says, no other gods before me. You want a relationship with me, you can't have any other lovers. That's right. now, now that makes sense, doesn't it? What kind of marriage would it be if your husband's got other girlfriends? That's not going to work, is it? It'll work anywhere. And number two, he says, uh, he says, 
uh, he talks about um, not taking the name of the Lord in vain, which means, if you put it another way, you need to treat me with respect. Because respect is foundational to relationship. If you don't respect me, we can never be really intimate. Keep holy the Sabbath day. In other words, take time to develop intimacy, rest from your work, and place a priority on your relationship with me. Hello? Is this sensible stuff or what? You work seven days a week, you become boring and your marriage busts. The day off is a blessing to us to cease from working hard, thank God for his benefits, and develop a deeper intimacy with him. Then he says, honor your father and mother. He said, I use them to bring you into the world, so you need to constantly respect them. They're your first, my first representatives, so respect my representatives. Then he says, oh, well, you don't kill. Oh, really? Well, because these are my family. I love each one of them. Don't kill my children. And Jesus in the New Testament said this, listen, the Old Testament said don't kill them. He said, I'm telling you, don't hate them either. In fact, he said, all of the commandments are fulfilled in this one commandment, which is love the Lord your God. Love. See, it's all about loving. The Ten Commandments are not a lot, not a lot of rules. They're about specific definitions of how you love God and how you love people. Because if you love people, you won't kill them or hate them or take from them or rip them off or covet what they have. You'll love them. So he's saying, this is how you build a relationship with me. Now, in that context, he reveals who he is. He's like the groom finally revealing himself at the marriage. He said, here I am. And as he walked by, he said, he proclaimed his name. And this is what he said. He declared the name of the Lord. The Lord, the Lord God. Now, even if you look up every one of these words, you'll get a lot of revelation about what God is like. He says, first of all, the Lord. And the word is used is the all-existing one. The one who is eternal. Everything else is temporary. I am eternal. I'm above and beyond the natural realm. I'm the God of eternity. In me, everything lives and moves and has its being. He says, I'm the Lord, the Lord God. The word God means almighty. They were used to many gods of Egypt. God for this, a God for that, a God for this, a God. Man, so many gods. You just have to have a new God for all sorts of different things. He said, I am almighty God. There is nothing beyond me. I'm the all-powerful one. If you have me, you don't need anyone else. See what God is saying. He's saying, I am ever-present for you. Your natural father can't be always there, but I am always present because I'm not bound by time. You want to have time with your dad? Oh, I'm sorry, I've got to go to work. I'm busy. You ring up, I'm on the phone. I'm too busy. So natural fathers have a limited amount of engagement with us, but God is always accessible. Because he's above time. You can come to him at any time. He's saying, I'm always accessible to you, and whatever needs you have, I'm greater than the problem. Then he says, the Lord, ah, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful. Merciful, in other words, compassionate. I am compassionate. I am moved by your need. My heart is moved. I want to engage and involve with you. That's what Jesus was like. You see, Jesus saw the leper. He was moved with compassion, and he reached out and touched the leper. 
Jesus saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion. That is what God is like, very compassionate. We walk by and don't care. Turn the channel on another channel. We don't get moved much by the needs of people, but God is deeply compassionate. The Lord merciful, the Lord merciful, gracious. He is gracious. That means the word grace comes from a root word meaning to give you favors. God is amazingly gracious. He favors people. He blesses people. He wants to reach into you. In the, in the culture of Jesus' day, uh, they were so poor and so rich uh, that if you wanted to get ahead, you needed a favor. You need the wealthy man to help you. They all understood that that was what grace meant, that you receive a favor, a help to succeed in life. So when it says God is gracious, it says, I am positioned to help you to get ahead and succeed and accomplish all I've called you to do. I am here to help you. He is long-suffering. The word long-suffering means it takes long, 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 long time for him to become angry. In other words, you can't get him angry easily. A lot of people, their concept of God is he's angry most of the time. I didn't do this. Ooh. Like God's sort of watching, watching, trying to find the fault. Maybe you were raised in a family like that, but God is not like that. He's not trying to find all your faults. He's trying to get you to stand up and believe your destiny and walk in the destiny he has for you and fulfill the, fulfill the things he's called you to do. Long-suffering. The only thing, it tells Jesus got angry. What got Jesus angry? Was it the homosexual? Did he get him angry? No. Gets Christians angry, but didn't get God angry. See, we, we, because we don't know God, we don't relate to people properly. If you knew what God was like, it would change how you related to people. It would affect how you related to people. It would affect how you see people. See, we see people, put a label on them, oh, that's a that, so now I can dismiss them. Oh, that's a this, so I can dismiss her. So the only, the only people it says or records that Jesus got angry with were religious people who said they knew God and represented God, but actually were cruel and abusive to people. That got him angry, that they had no heart for people in need and misrepresented them. Jesus came to represent what God is like. Compassionate, compassionate. Oh, he's compassionate. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. And he abounds, abounds in goodness. That's the word Jess said, loving kindness. God is full of loving kindness. He's abounding in it. He's not poor. He's not got just a little bit to measure out. Today he's got a little bit, but tomorrow, well, I'm sorry, I gave it to someone else. It's not much for you. God is abounding in loving kindness and in truth. That's what God is like. He is, forgives our sins and iniquities. See, Moses has a revelation. Wow, that's what God is like. Everyone else just saw the Ten Commandments. Oh, that's what he's like. Rules. See, Moses caught the heart of God, what God is like. Now, Jesus came to reveal the Father. But for to reveal the Father, he had to know the Father. He had to encounter the Father and show us what Father is like. And so there's many ways he showed what he's like. I've only got a limited time, so I'll just take one incident. And here it is in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. This is so powerful. Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And here's where Jesus begins his ministry. Now, 
at a very young age, Jesus understood he was called by God, that he had a destiny. He understood who he was. At the age of 12, he was in the house of God and he was asking questions. He was preparing to fulfill his destiny. So if you are a parent and you've got children, don't wait till they grow up to talk to them about the Lord, shape their lives, get them to value the things of God, love the things of God, uh, be present in the place where God is moving uh, so that they develop a heart for the things of God. That's why I've got my granddaughter at 15 has a heart for the things of God. The other ones have a heart for the things of God. They serve in the church. Next one down is what? How old is the next one? About 11, is it? 11. Oh, she, she leads some of the kids' church area and does the worship leading. The other one, about eight, and she's there. She does some worship leading in the kids' church. See, you don't have to be old for God to use you. They talk about what God said, that the younger one doesn't write very well. We taught how to hear the voice of God. She said, oh, Nana, can you write it down for me? Because it's too slow for me to write, and God is talking to me. Can you write down what he's telling me? And so Joy got the piece of paper, and she wrote down what God was saying. And, 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 uh, and the little one just spoke to her and said, what's God saying to me? And she wrote it all down. She had a little message from God. See, you, God wants to encounter us. God is a loving father. He's interested in his children. Wants to know what they're doing. Okay, now in this, this verse here, this is Jesus being launched into public ministry. And the thing, there's many aspects to it. I want to just pick up one aspect. I want to pick up what it reveals about God as a father. And let's read the verse, and I'll show you what it reveals about God as a father. It said, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, when we, we, we've seen the passage, but I, I encourage you to take some time and ask the questions like this. What does this tell us about God as a father? What does it reveal about God as a father? Take time to think on it and dwell on it. Because you need to understand what God is like. Otherwise, you will copy the culture. This is what happened. Now, J Jesus positioned himself rightly. He came and he submitted to John the Baptist, meaning he respected the ones the Father had put in his life to prepare him. We tend to want to be very independent. Jesus was a son. The word son means a builder of the household or a builder of the family's name. So as he presents himself, several things happen. Number one, I'll give it to you by numbers, then it's easy to remember. Number one, it said, the heavens opened. What does that mean? It means he had access to the supernatural realm of his father. He had access to his father every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of a year. The first thing the father did was give him unhindered, unlimited access. Your natural father can't do that because he's got to go to work, he's away busy, some of the time he's sleeping, he's having a meal, whatever. He just hasn't got a lot of time. Some fads, dads have got very little time. But God, our heavenly father, always has time for you. You have access. The Bible says, by the spirit that God puts in us, we have access to our father. You have access by faith. Whenever, whatever, at any point in the day or night, you can come and experience God's love as a father for you. 
Our problem is we don't live like we feel as though we're being loved and valued and appreciated and have significance. We get run down by the pressures of life. But we can access God as a father. We can have free access to his presence at any time. Second thing is, what did the father say? Words reveal what people are like. He said, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So the first thing he got was access. Second was identity. Who are you? You need to be able to answer who you are. How you answer will tell how you see yourself. If I ask people, who are you? They don't tell me who they are. Well, I'm a teacher. Oh, really? Now, that's what you do. Who are you? Ah, uh, well, I don't know. Well, I'm a church worker. Oh, no, no, no. That's what you do. Who are you? See, teaching is your assignment. Church working is your assignment. Oh, well, I'm a secretary. No, no. That's your assignment. That's what you do. But who are you? Oh, I don't really know. Never stop to think about it. If people ask, who are you? They usually ask what your name is. They want to know where you come from. Where do you come from? See, so this is what God says. You are my son. Amen. So who am I? If I'm born again, I am a beloved child of God. God is my father. I belong to a heavenly father who is almighty God. I am in his family, which is the family that will run all of creation. That's who I am. I'm royalty. See, people don't see, see, people complain about where they come from. I'm from a poor family. No, no, that's where you started. That's not where you finish. When you come into God, you come into a rich family, a wealthy family, you come into his family. When you're in his family and God is your father, you've got a very wealthy daddy. A very powerful daddy, a very influential daddy. In fact, when you've got God as your father, you've got everything you need. He is the source. Unless you keep looking to somewhere else, in which case then you don't receive his benefits. You tend to live out of the poverty of what the world and your own resources can provide. You are my son, meaning identity and belonging. Sometimes we struggle to fit. We want to belong. I already belong. I belong to my father. If you don't like me, that's your problem. It's not going to ever be my problem anymore. It used to be wanting people to accept me, but now it isn't because I'm already accepted. I belong to my father. So now how you treat, well, you can think whatever you like. It doesn't really make any difference to me because I know where I belong. I know who I belong to. I belong to my father in heaven. See, when you, are, when you understand and have revelation of that, you are really, really free. You notice the third thing that comes out. So we have number one was access. Number two was identity. Three, belonging. Number four, unconditional love. You are my beloved son. Everyone is looking, trying to find a bit of love, squeeze a bit of love here and there. They manipulate relationships to get love, hurt their own heart to get love. And God says, you are my beloved. I love you. You are precious to me. You are ever in my heart. I love you. You are of high value to me. You know, when I teach people to hear the voice of God, you know what they hear first of all? My son or daughter, I love you. Why? Because we need to experience that. If you don't experience it, you're going to look for it somewhere else. Then you try to manipulate people to respond to you so you feel loved. We find a substitute. 
If we don't find our identity in Father, we will find it in substitutes, and substitutes that are outside us will always let us down and leave us insecure. If your identity is in your group you belong to and they fail, you've got troubles. If your identity is in your money or your position, when it fails, you are insecure. But if our identity and our belonging and our love is in the Father, He never fails. You're my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Affirmation. Notice what the father does. He affirms us. I'm with you. I'll help you. And the last thing it says, the spirit of God, the spirit of his father came on him. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's like having an open checkbook. It's like having daddy's credit card. Because the spirit of God does a number of things. One of the things the spirit of God does in Romans 8, it tells us in verse 14, he affirms and speaks to us who we are. I'm a child of God. God is my Father. I have an inheritance of my Father. Every blessing belongs to me to be received. Second thing, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, it tells us that the Spirit of God reveals us the things that are freely given to us. You want to know what God has for you? Only the Spirit of God can reveal it. He will reveal your future. He will reveal your pl his plans. He will reveal wisdom to you. He will show you how to do things. He will, ha you have someone to help you. Now, we live our life like that's not true. We live our life as though it's a struggle. I'm on my own. It's hard. People don't always respond well to me. I seem to have lack. I feel the pain of not being loved. I lived that way for years. You come to church and all the songs don't make it better. You feel good for a little bit, then after you've gone, that terrible loneliness is still there. That's the result of living like an orphan and being hurt in our families of origin and in our relationships. It's a legacy of pain and wrong thinking we carry because of what we've experienced. One of the works that Jesus did, this is so powerful, He came to heal your broken heart so you don't live out of the pain of where you've come from. You can start to walk into who you now are. He sets us free from tormenting spirits and puts His Spirit which brings rest and peace. Everywhere I go, I find people tormented Fear, anxiety, grief, pressures in their life, memories of things that happened to them, pain of things of the past. God wants to set us free of all of those things. Jesus revealed this is what God is like as a father. I have access. I belong. He loves me. He's with me. He will affirm me and help me. He'll correct me and guide me. I want you to think, I, I, was, I finished with this couple of thoughts. I was in a meeting in Singapore with a thousand young people. A thousand young people. And I asked the question, how many of you ever heard your father say, I love you? And I waited and only five hands out of a thousand went up. And I could not believe it. I thought, there's got to be more than that. Nope. They were well educated, they were well provided for, so obviously they had a father who loved them. Yet he failed 
to express in words affirmation, love, identity. And they were struggling with rejection. I never forgotten that meeting because when I had an altar call, the weeping was intense as people let go the rejection, the pain of never having a father say, I love you. I was in Indonesia and uh, I was in a meeting with young people there and, and there was a young boy shared his testimony of how his father hated him, cursed him, pulled him out of school, forced him to work and support the family. He got involved in a homosexual relationship and just filled with uncleanness and all kinds of terrible things. He finally got saved and he shared his testimony how, how Jesus had saved him. And, and I felt God say, I want to heal him. Give him a hug. I said, oh, give him a hug. Okay. So I got up and, and anyway, God started to move. And then I said, where's that young man? They brought him up. And I said, thank you for sharing your testimony and being so courageous about your life story. But, you know, God showed me he wants to, he, he just spoke to me to give you a hug, give your father's hug. Can I do that? He said, okay. And so I put my arms around him to hug him, and it was like hugging a piece of wood. Man, oh man, I never hug a piece of wood, but that's what I, that, that's what I imagine it was like. Talk about stiff, it was like, like that. The walls were thick. And I felt the Lord just put it on my heart, just as I was hugging him to just pray. The Lord spoke to me, he said, hug him like he's your own son, because he's mine. So I hugged him, and I just said in my mind, Father, love him through me. Suddenly, he just broke down and began to sob and sob and sob, having felt the love of God as a father for the first time. He wept and wept and wept. Loud sobs. You could hear it right through the room. Then it subsided, and he had a massive deliverance, and his life was changed. The baggage of the past left, and the presence of God came around him. He had a revelation. God is my father and he loves me god wants to do that for every person you may not have had that kind of background but underneath there's still the longing for him as a father jesus said this is what the father's like the prodigal son who had wrecked his life and was such a mess came back to his father and here it is his father saw him when he was a long way off and he ran to him, moved with compassion. And he got, just stand up. Now you see, there's the son. Just stand, stand over here. There's the son. Son a long way off. He says the father saw his son a long way off. God sees you wherever you are, even if you are a long way off from him. He says when his father saw him, it says he was moved with compassion. In other words, he felt concern for the son in his life. And he knew that all the people in the town, if they saw that son, would come and surround him and they would perform a ceremony to reject him forever from the community. To protect his son from being rejected forever from the community, the father did something no father in the Bible does. No patriarch, no old person does. The father ran to the son. He didn't wait for the son to get. Now, if this was Asia, what would have happened? You spend all the family money. You're no good. See, that's what you would have had 
in the culture. But God is not like that. That's the part you've got to change. That's where the culture's been damaged. And it will have hurt you too. All the scolding, all those kinds of things. You need to forgive and let those things go and get this revelation. The father saw him and ran to him. And when he ran to him, his heart was moved deeply. The Bible says he hugged him. He began to kiss him. He began to hug him and restore him as his son. That's our father. That's our father. You've only got to move towards him and he responds immediately wants to love you, restore you, wants you to experience his love. That verse there, if you will meditate on that verse and begin to worship Father and see, I'm that son and he's that father and that's how he loves me, God can make that a reality in your life. Why don't we close our eyes right now?